Uh, Romans chapter 4. Now, before we read, I just want to say this. Sometimes it's good to come to church and hear a sermon that encourages us because life is tough, isn't it? And uh, life kicks us in the mouth. And I do my best to try to preach sermons that will encourage you and motivate you to do right. Other times, we need preaching to push us a little bit. How many of you here are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay, you parents know that your kids are naturally what? They're lazy. All right? Or was that just my kids? All right, no, all kids are naturally lazy. Um, how many know that your kids are capable more than what they give you? How many know that your kids are capable? You've got to push them to get the most out of them. And sometimes Pastor Lejeune's got to get up here and he's got to give you a little nudge. All right? Because we get lazy. We get lazy with truth. We get lazy with doing right. Um, I like to be pushed. I like to be pushed. I don't like the process of being pushed, but I like what I get out of being pushed. Um, I, um, I used to have a gym membership. It is very evident I no longer have a gym membership. And uh, when, I, when I went to the gym, I had a, a, a buddy I'd go with, and we would lift weights. And uh, he would help me to lift weights, and I would lift until I reached a point of failure. And I knew I had a successful lift day when I could no longer lift even a pen when I got done. Uh, but I looked across the way there, and I saw personal trainers who were pushing people to their absolute extremes. I mean, they're flipping tires, right? They're, they're doing jumping jacks, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups. Uh, they're putting kettlebells above their head and bringing them back down to their angles. And, and then they're running them back and forth. And they end up laying on the mat, breathing heavy, about to pass out. And I thought, I will never, ever hire a personal trainer. Because I don't want done to me what's being done to them. My goal today is not to be a like that. But I do want to push you a little bit. And I hope going into this message, you'll open up your heart and say, Lord, help me to see where I can grow and be better. Help me to see where I am weak and, and resting on my laurels and my faith, and I can grow. Let's stand if we can at the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 4, and we'll begin with verse number 16, and we'll read down through verse 20. Let's begin together, if we can, in verse 16. And we'll read every other verse together down through verse number 20, okay? Everybody have that beginning in 16. Ready? Here we go. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, which is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God, through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Verse 20 says about Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God. I want to ask you a question by title of sermon this morning. Are you staggering at God's promises? Are you staggering at God's promises? You'll have great clarity on whether or not you are by the end of the message this morning. Please give me your heart as we open up the Word of God and preach today. God, help us to be honest with ourselves this morning. We live a life of deceit, oftentimes with many people, putting on a front, trying to convince people we are something that deep down inside we're not. And Lord, if we're not careful, we can even begin to try and lie to You about who we are, even though You know everything. Lord God, beneath the the, the shallowness of, of skin and clothing is our soul and our heart. And Lord God, we fight a battle against the flesh. Oh Lord, today help us to see where we're losing that battle. And Lord, help us to engage with truth. And Lord, help us to step up and claim Your promises and live by Your promises. May they be the energy that feeds our spiritual soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. 
Have you ever seen someone stagger? Uh, if you've lived life long enough, you've seen yourself stagger. You ever been walking down the way and you tripped over your own two feet? And you just felt super klutzy. You felt very clumsy uh, over that. Um, we used to pick on each other when we were kids. We'd be walking around in the gymnasium and someone would, would just trip on the floor. And we'd say, watch for that painted line. It will get you every single time. And uh, kids are ruthless. They, they're good at picking on each other. But when I think of someone staggering, I picture, uh, I picture two men in a ring in a boxing match. Any boxing fans? Here this morning. Any boxing fans? You say, Pastor Lejeune, I am opposed to boxing because that is violence. All right? Uh, well, hang on with me here because I'm going to use boxing as an illustration. Uh, I'm not a big boxing fan. All right? Uh, occasionally, when there is a once in a century or maybe even a once in a decade fight, uh, maybe I'll watch. You say, Pastor, would you pay to watch that? I would never, ever. Give my money to watch that. But if you pay, I'll come over. Amen? I'll come over to your house and I'll watch it. Um, two guys that are going to box. They, uh, man, they enter the arena to much fanfare and cheers and announcers. and They are brimming with enthusiasm. They're brimming with excitement. Generally, they're wearing a, a costume and they come in and they're bouncing up and down in place. Maybe they're beating their chest. and they, they are certain that they're going to win the fight. They're certain they're going to put their opponent down on the mat. They're certain they're going to come out victorious. Their name is called. And they put their hand and their glove in the air. They're bouncing up and down. and They just can't wait for the bell to ring and for the punches to begin being thrown. The referee calls them both to the center of the mat there and gives them the rules and has them touch gloves and back to the corners they go to receive last moment instructions. Maybe they're swinging, beating the air, practicing yet their maneuvers of a jab and, and a punch and, and a left hook and an uppercut. And they're getting ready for the big fight. Finally, the bell rings and uh, they're in there th- uh, exchanging blows. Uh, round by round they go, uh, taking shots at each other, hitting each other in the ribs, looking for openings between the gloves. Uh, uh, maybe a slight cut comes open they go back to their corner to get some water. They go see the cut doctor to have that cut closed. And back out they go. Back out there to take yet another swing. Being fatigued round after round. And then it happens. It happens. One guy lets his guard down just a little bit. And he suffers a left hook. And then an uppercut. And the next thing you know, he is tumbling toward the mat. He's laying there on the mat and all of his training kicks in telling him, get up off the mat and you have to keep fighting and you can't get up. And so he climbs back up and he stands tall. The referee takes him by the gloves and uh, uh, looks him in the eye and makes sure that he's ready to go and uh, uh, lets the fight continue and just around later he suffers yet another blow and he begins to stammer and stagger and stumble as he falls down on the mat and he is declared the loser as the other boxer is declared the winner. And I have to say that this analogy not only describes a boxing match, I have also seen this described many a Christian in their fight to do right and stay faithful to God and stay faithful for God. You enter the Christian fight with all the gusto and confidence and excitement that one can have. Uh, you come out ready to go. You're excited about being on Team Jesus. And you know that in your corner you have the Lord Jesus Christ and He's teaching you and He's coaching you. He's giving you a pastor. He's giving you friends. He's giving you the Word of God. And you think, boy, I can't lose. I am on the winning team. You're ready to go to spiritual war against the devil because of all of those things you have going for, you have expectations of what you think is going to happen and what you're going to accomplish. And then, all of a sudden, it happens. You suffer a flurry of problems. Or maybe maybe you have a financial hardship. And the bills just keep stacking up, one on top of the other. You go to bed at nighttime, it's almost like you have an elephant sitting on your chest. You wonder how you're going to get the bills paid. And then if it couldn't get any worse, your car breaks down. How in the world am I going to pay to get this car fixed? So you use a credit card 
so that you can go to work so that you can pay off the credit card. You wonder how could it get any worse. And then you feel as though a brother or sister in Christ betrays you. Or you begin to have serious problems in your family. And you have been hit by life. Maybe you have a spiritual leader that fails you. One blow after another and you realize that your Christian life is not going the way that you hoped it would go. You've been knocked down on the mat. You try and pick yourself up and and dust yourself off and you try to uh, move forward, but these promises from God that you've been given just don't seem to be working out and it just doesn't seem that God is really keeping His Word. You are down on the mat of life. You get up only to stagger, to stagger at the promises of God. We look at the life of Abraham who is described here in Romans 5, and we see that in Genesis 12, God promised that he and Sarah would have a baby. Sarah's womb was closed. We see that he would be the father. He was promised to be the father of many nations. We see that he was promised that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. We see that God promised him that he would receive a promised land for all of his descendants to live in, and and it would be great. Yet decades passed, decades passed, And it seemed that maybe God had failed to keep His promises. But Abraham did not let limitations placed on him by mankind cause him to stagger at the promises of his eternal, all-powerful God. What did Abraham do? He continued to believe, and God came through on His promises. Because, listen church, God always comes through on His promises. God always comes through on His promises. You say, well, I don't know that to be the case. and I'm wondering and doubting whether or not God comes through on His promises. No, God is always faithful. The Christian life is all about learning how to trust God through the difficulties and struggles of life. And as we learn to trust God more and more, what we find is that His promises come to pass, which only strengthens our faith. You see, it's a cycle. It's a cycle that builds momentum. Watch this. I have faith in God and I do my part uh, to get God's promise. And then I realize the promise of God, which only grows my faith, which causes me to trust God more, which then enables me to see the promises of God yet more. And everywhere I turn and look, I see the promises of God raining down upon me. And this cycle of momentum builds. But the opposite is also true. You see, when I doubt God then all of a sudden I fail to see His promises coming to pass in my life because my head is focused on the wrong things. And then, when I don't get what I want from God, all of a sudden my doubt grows, which only causes me to see less of God's promises, which brings about more doubt, which causes me to see less of God's promises. Which cycle are you in this morning? Are you in a cycle where you're growing in your faith and you're realizing the promises of God? Or are you in a cycle of doubt where you're staggering at the promises of God? I want us to look very closely this morning at three thoughts about God and His promises. As we consider this question, are you staggering at the promises of God? Let's jump in here. Number one, notice the promises of God. The promises of God. We're going to move quickly through these, and if you are able to jot a couple of these down... Uh, Great. If not, there is the archive on the internet. You can go back and watch. We're going to look briefly at the unconditional promises of God. What is an unconditional promise of God? That means you don't have to do anything. You just have to be a child of God and it's automatic. There's an unconditional promise that I make to my family. There will be food in the refrigerator at all times. All right? Or at least there will be the funds available and my wife goes grocery shopping. Amen? At all times. I, they, look, it does not matter if my children are good or bad. There's food in the fridge. With me? It doesn't matter if my kids are good or bad. They have a bedroom. They can go sleep in at nighttime. There are some things that regardless of their behavior, they're just, those things are just going to be there. And God offers His children some unconditional promises. These are really good. These are really exciting, all right? Let me, let me rattle a list of them off to you here, okay? 
Uh, if you are a child of God, your salvation can never be lost. John 10, 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never, 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 never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Eternal is eternal, and there's no undoing of eternal. God's promise to you, regardless of your behavior, Christian, is that your salvation can never be lost. Here's another great promise. He will supply for all your need. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ. Christ Jesus. How about this one? He will provide the Holy Spirit to comfort and convict you. John 16, 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter which will not come will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send Him unto you. Look, you don't have to be a great Christian to have the Holy Spirit of God. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have Him, and He offers you comfort, and He convicts you to lead you into righteousness. Here's another unconditional promise. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Matthew 11.30, Jesus said, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, here's another great promise that's unconditional. With God, all things are possible. Matthew 19.26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Here's another great promise that He is not a respecter of persons. Acts 10.34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Here's another uh, promise from God's Word that's unconditional. One day everyone will give an account to God. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of Himself to God. How about this one? Jesus Christ is always the same. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. In a world where everything is changing and moving, where opinions change, where culture change, where jobs change, where the economy changes, Jesus never changes. Amen? How about this unconditional promise that Jesus will come again to receive the saints to heaven? First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which are asleep, uh, uh, which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. It's going to be a great day. These are unconditional promises. How about this one? Satan and the forces of evil will lose and will be eliminated. Revelation 20 tells us that when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the fourth, four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather, uh, uh, to gather uh, them together to battle, the number of which is as the sands of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth that compassed the, uh, uh, the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, that being Jerusalem in fire, came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Oh, what a great day when the Lord finally puts down Satan and he is no longer the tempter of mankind. And so these promises are unconditional. You know what? You don't have to do anything to realize these promises. But then we come to a list of the promises of God that are indeed conditional. What is a conditional promise? Well, to make it very simple, if I were to tell my children, uh, if you go clean up your room to the standard of which I approve, then I will take you out and get you an ice cream cone. You see, if they don't clean their room, they don't get an ice cream cone. And you see, God offers us all kinds of wonderful things, but we're not willing to go, if you will, clean our room. We're not willing to do what He's told us to do. And because we're not willing to do our part, God is not willing to do His part. You know what I see with parenting today? I see a lot of parents who uh, give conditional promises to their kids and then don't follow through. They'll say things like this, if you behave, then I'll give you this toy. And then the child's terrible, but they still give him the toy. What are you doing? What are you telling your child? You're telling your child that your behavior doesn't matter. I'm still just going to do for you what I want because my benevolence and my goodness is more important than your behavior. 
Oh, no. I told a little boy this week, I said, if you want to ride in the front seat of my truck, then you have to have this done. He wasn't real little. He was old enough to sit in the front. You know what? He didn't get it done. Guess what he didn't do? He didn't sit in the front seat. Yeah, keep your word. And you know what God does? He keeps His word. When God says, here's a condition, you meet that condition, then I'll give you this commitment. You better meet the condition or you aren't going to see the commitment. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Many, many people are bitter at God because God has not given them what they want. But the reason why God's not giving them what they want is because they are not doing what God has commanded of them. Why don't you take your eyes off of God and what He's not giving you and look at yourself and what you're not doing? Let's look at some conditional promises this morning in the Word of God. All right? Without reading these passages, let me just list some conditional promises off to you. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, we're given the condition of asking, seeking, and knocking. We do that through prayer. If you meet the condition, here's God's commitment. It shall be given, ye shall find, and it shall be opened. Asking, seeking, and knocking. If we're not getting things from God, maybe it's not because God isn't keeping His promise. Maybe it's because we're not meeting the condition. How about Acts 16.31? Here's the condition. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What happens when we meet that, that condition? Here's the commitment. Thou shalt be saved. If someone's on their way to hell, you know why they're on their way to hell? It's very simple. They have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another condition. Um, Found in James 1.5. Ask God for His wisdom. What happens when we ask God for His wisdom? He gives us a generous portion. Alright? Here's another conditional promise. Found in Matthew 6.14. Forgive others their trespasses. What happens when we forgive others their trespasses? Well, God forgives us our trespasses. Isn't that great? That God would forgive you. You know what I don't want? I don't want to ask God to forgive me and God say no. Because I'm holding a grudge against someone, now God won't forgive me. Here's another one, alright? This one's found in Psalm 34, 7. Delight thyself also in the Lord. You've got to delight yourself in the Lord. That means you have to fall in love with God. What happens? What's God's commitment? Here it is. He will give thee the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart. Do you want God to give you the desires of your heart? We all want that, don't we? Well, we have to get busy delighting ourselves in the Lord. Here's another one. Call unto God. Uh, and what's the commitment? Um, he will answer you. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Here's another condition. Love God. Answer the call uh, for the purpose of your life. Here's another way of saying that. Love God and live for God. Love God and live for God. What happens when we love God and we live for God? What, what's His commitment? We see in Romans 8, 28, it's that all things work together for good. Most of us here this morning are familiar with most, if not all, of these condition, conditional promises. But are we realizing them in our life? Are we staggering at the promises of God? Now, let me get, I've given you some promises. Let me get down to where we live. Number two, notice, a perspective on why we stagger. A perspective on why we stagger. There's three reasons I want to uh, lay out for you this morning as to why we stagger at the promises of God. Letter A, first notice, inhibited by faults. Inhibited by faults. Take your Bibles over to James chapter 1 with me. James chapter 1. We're going to look at several verses of Scripture this morning. Inhibited by faults. Boy, our teenagers are sitting in here on the front row this morning doing a great job. They're dialed in. They're listening. They're taking copious notes. They're doing really well. I can't tell you how proud I am of you teens and how well you're behaving today. Alright? Keep it up. I want to see this every week out of you. Wonderful job. James chapter 1 and look with me at verse number 5. Verse number 5. The Bible says... There, if any of you lack wisdom, how many here sometimes feel like you lack wisdom? Raise your hand. How many here ever going through life and you get to a situation and you go, I have no idea what to do. Lord, give me wisdom to know how to move forward. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Raise your hand if you ever prayed that prayer. I pray that prayer every day of my life. 
at some point during the day. In fact, one of the first things I pray every morning after I thank God for waking me up for the day and giving me the many blessings He's given me is I say, Lord, I do not know what problems I'll encounter today, but I know that none of them will take you by surprise. Give me your wisdom to know how to handle those. If any of you lack wisdom, look here. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You see the conditional promise here? If you lack wisdom and you ask God for it, He will, He shall give you that wisdom. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith. There's another qualifier. Nothing wavering. Say those two words with me. Ready? Nothing wavering. One more time. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now, we ask God for problems when the solution in front of us is not obvious. You know what? If my son says to me, Dad, I have a runny nose. You know what I don't do? I don't bow my head and say, Lord, what should I tell Matthew to do? You know what I look at him and say? Go get a Kleenex and blow your nose. All right? I'm driving down the road and I'm running low on gas. How many wait until it, you, the light comes on before you get gas? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you wait till it's below half a tank and then you get gas? All right. How many of you here have ever run out of gas like me? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. How many of you have ever done it more than once? Okay. Me too. All right. Okay. Uh, I have pushed every vehicle I've owned to the limits and I've been told multiple times, that's not healthy for your car. I know, leave me alone, okay, it's just how I drive. Um, uh, Listen, um, when I see the gas light come on, I don't bow my head and say, Lord, I'm running low on gas, what should I do? I don't ask for wisdom there. You know what, because I know what to do. Get to a gas station and put some gas in the car, right? But what about when you come to a problem and you don't know what to do? You know, before you pick up the phone and call anybody, or you Google it, Google is not God. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. Pray about it. Boy, that's good stuff right there. Pray before you Google it. Amen? Ask God to help you. And you know what? He gives you He gives you wisdom. Now, notice there it says nothing wavering. What does it look like to waver? What does it look like to waver? I'm up one day. I'm down the next. Listen up. I'm a pastor, and I watch the wavering of the flock. I watch it. Why is it some Sundays we have 260 in church, and then other Sundays we have 200 in church? Because we're wavering up and down. I'm in church one week. I'm out of church the next week. I'm in church one week. I'm out of church the next week. I watch the wavering take place. Did you know that back in the 1950s, the average church member missed church one out of every six weeks? That has now dropped to one out of every three weeks. Why? Because we waver. We waver. Now, you're up and you're down. You're you're all in for the Lord, and then you're all out for the Lord. And you're hot, on fire for God! And then you go through a season of being cold. And then you're walking by faith. And then you turn around and walk by doubt or fear. You you, you have a season of life where you wake up early in the morning and you're reading the Bible or you're listening to the Bible, maybe through some earbuds as you go about your day and, and you're all in on the Bible and you're all in on prayer. And then you go through a season where you abandon your Bible time and prayer. And you'll go days or weeks or months and not even pick up your Bible outside of church. This is a fault of faith in God. This is a fault of faith. We lack faith in God. You know, James 1 verse 6 gives us that qualifier. 
Let him ask in faith. Many times we bow our head and say, Lord, I need help here. But we don't actually believe that God's going to give us the help. We just pray because someone told us one time, James 1.5 is in the Bible. No, we are to ask in faith. Nothing wavering. Lord, I know I've got a difficult circumstance to deal with. I need your wisdom. And then you go into the situation with an expectation that God is going to deliver on His promise. Inhibited by faults. We're up and we're down. We're inconsistent in our life. We're like the waves of the sea tossing to and fro. Where does this, uh, where do these faults come from? Letter B. We are incorrect in our focus. We are incorrect in our focus. Let's turn over to a familiar passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 28. Matthew chapter 14. Here we find the story of Jesus walking on the water, but Prior to his walking on the water, he had just fed the multitudes, the 5,000 men plus the women and the children, with five simple loaves and uh, two fishes. And he sent the multitudes away after he fed them and put the disciples in the boat at the Sea of Galilee, sending them back across the sea toward Capernaum. He goes up in the mountain to pray. And there he's going to pray in the mountain all night. In the middle of the night, there's a storm that's raging on that sea. You're talking about the waves, uh, uh, the, the, the seas, uh, the waters of the sea wavering back and forth. The, boss, the boat is being tossed to and fro and the disciples are beginning to get worried and they look up and there is a spirit hovering over the water. And they say, oh, it's a spirit, almost like it was some kind of demonic presence. And Peter knows exactly who it is. He, he knows who it is. Look at verse number 28. Verse 28. Thank you very much. It says there, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, we're going to look at verse 30 in just a minute. But I want you to imagine this. Peter is in the boat and he steps over the edge of the boat onto liquid H2O. And he's standing on liquid H2O. There are only two people in all of history that have walked on liquid H2O. If it's frozen, it don't count. Amen? Liquid H2O. And it, they, both of those people are Jesus and Peter and they were doing it at the same time. And there Peter is, standing on the water. Instead of sinking, he was walking. Wow! And every step he takes, he's probably wondering, is this the one where I go down? And no, it was firm under his feet. He is, he is, he is focused on who? He is focused on the Lord Jesus. Oh, but then something happens. Look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. The Bible says there, but when, read it with me. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. Now most of us are familiar with the story. As long as Peter had his eyes on the Lord, he was great. As soon as he put his eyes on his problems, he went under. He went under. I want to ask you this morning, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Is your focus on the material, the tangible things that are around you? The bills that keep coming in the mail? The debt collecting text messages that keep pouring in? The IRS won't get off your back? Maybe you have a loved one in the hospital. You're worried about their health. Maybe you have a wayward child. You're afraid you're going to get a call at any moment that they're dead? Where's your focus this morning? Where's your focus? Is your focus on you and your strength and your might and what you can accomplish? Where's your focus? You see, we stagger at the promises of God when our focus is incorrect. You see, what we need to do right now is we need to lock in on the goodness of God. Oh, how abundant and great is His goodness 
and His mercies toward us. Raise your hand if you've got a problem in your life right now. Any problem whatsoever, raise your hand for me. Hold them up, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. Put your hands down. How many have a, how many have a blessing from God in your life right now? Raise your hand if you've got a blessing from God in your life. Anybody not have their hand up? Oh man, all of us have blessings, don't we? What are you focused on? Oh, the problems are there. And if you ignore them, they're probably going to smack you in the face. It's so natural for us to be focusing on the problems and not focusing on the goodness of God that is abundantly before us each and every day. We stagger at the promises of God and we fall below the surface of, of, uh, of God's goodness when we focus on the storms instead of focusing on the Prince of Peace. Letter A, we see inhibited by faults. Letter B, we, we stagger because we have, in, we have a focus that's incorrect. Notice letter C, incapacitated by fear. Incapacitated by fear. Turn over to Numbers chapter 13 and verse 31. Numbers chapter 13 and verse number 31. Make your way over there for me if you would. Numbers chapter 13. Here we find the story of the Israelites. Now, the Israelites had been in bondage for many, many years. And God takes Moses out of the wilderness and sends them down to set them free. And Moses arrives on the scene there in Egypt. And God uses Moses to call down ten disastrous plagues on this abundant country. Egypt went from being a superpower of wealth and greatness on the world scene to being decimated over just ten simple plagues. The Israelites were located in Goshen, one town over from uh, Cairo, the main city there. And you know what? They were fine, but those ten plagues just decimated them. And that tenth plague was the death of all of the firstborn that did not put the blood of that lamb up on the doorpost. And so now that this country's just been wrecked, what happens? God says to Mo Moses, take the people and go. And Pharaoh says... Take the people and go. And so you know the story. They walk out of Israel or Egypt. They walk down by the Red Sea. And here come the Egyptian army behind them. And God parts the Red Sea. One of the most spectacular miracles in the whole Bible. Can you imagine that? That Red Sea being parted right before you? Hollywood will never do it justice. I hope, I hope we can see a recording of this actually, as it actually happened when we get to heaven. And they walk through the water... And the Egyptian army comes in behind him and God kills the Egyptian army. What's he doing here? He is showing the Israelites you never have to worry about them again. You don't need to look over your shoulder. Now, uh, the distance from where they crossed the Red Sea to Kadesh Barnea, which was right where they were here in Numbers 13. They're right on the cusp of going into their promised land. The distance from the Red Sea to Kadesh Barnea is about the distance from New York to Chicago. All right, and we know that there were about a million Israelites plus all their animals. How long would it take to walk a million people plus their animals in a group from New York to Chicago? Conservatively, it would take about three months. You could walk it by yourself much faster. But it would take about three months to make that walk. If you really took it slow, maybe six months. What am I getting at? It was never God's intentions to leave the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. But that's where they ended up staying. Why? Because they staggered at the promises of God. Some of you in here are living in a spiritual wilderness because you constantly are like these Israelites. You watch God save your soul. You watch God uh, provide all kinds of good things every day in your life, yet you question God. So here they are at Kadesh Barnea. They're getting ready to go in. They send one representative from each tribe. Twelve men go in to survey the promised land. They come back to give a report to Israel as to how they're going to do it. Look at verse 31. But the men that went with them, that went with him said, We be not able to go up. 
against the people, for they are stronger than we. Look here. We be not able, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, uh, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land uh, through which we uh, have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. 33. And there we saw the giants of the son of Anak, which came uh, of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, as, and so we were in their sight. We be not able, they are stronger than we. They offer an evil report because they saw giants and they said we are but as grasshoppers. God had promised the Israelites the strength to conquer the land and defeat these giants. But instead of seeing the God who is greater than the giants, you know what they saw? They saw the giants. They saw the giants. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says this, But the fearful... The fearful. The fearful. There's a whole long list of other people, and it says this a little further down. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Do you operate by fear? You say, oh, I'm not walking around afraid. Can I tell you the number one fear people operate by is the fear of man. We want to be accepted by people around us. Do you know that those who uh, dictate our culture, they have figured out that they can use the fear of man to get people to do some pretty wicked things. People will morph and change into just about anything if that's what it takes to be accepted by the world around them. Do you do right because Pastor Lejeune emphatically and bombastically preaches truth and you think, well, oh boy, I want to be accepted in the church. And so, to my degree, to follow the preaching of Pastor Lejeune is my degree of being accepted at White Oak Baptist Church. Listen, you ought not make decisions for right or wrong based on acceptance of others. You ought to do it because the Bible teaches us to operate by faith, not by fear. We're walking by faith. We're doing what's right because God says so, not because some culture around us says so. So many people operate by fear. And I want to be accepted by... We're hyper people pleasers. Hyper people pleasers. Uh, let me ask this morning, how many here are willing to admit that in your nature you are naturally a people pleaser? Would you raise your hand? You're naturally a people pleaser. Whoever you're around, you want them to accept you. And you want them to be pleased with you. Listen, I understand that. And God has built some of that in all of us. Because no one wants to walk in the room and be the oddball. Right? And so we dress according to not stand out. Or maybe sometimes, especially teenagers, they want to stand out with the way they're dressed, don't they? But uh, we, want, uh, we want to fit in everywhere we go. Look, we should not be driven by fear. Here are these Israelites. They're walking up to the edge of great victory. Now remember... God had already parted the Red Sea. He had already made water come out of the flint rock. He had already sent fire down to consume the top of Mount Sinai. He had already given them victory against kings in the, uh, there in the wilderness. And here they come up to the edge of great victory. Here they come up to the edge of their settled land. And they say, we be not able. And you know what? They were right. They weren't able. But you know who was able? God was able. And you know what they lacked? They lacked faith in God. They were incapacitated by fear. I don't know what it is that has you afraid today. But I'm going to tell you right now that fear oftentimes can paralyze us from moving forward on claiming the promises of God. The desire of every Christian ought to be to please God. Let's look at number three and lastly here. Let's notice the process of growth. The process of growth. How do we go from staggering at God's promises to claiming and banking on God's promises? You know, we, um, we go to work to get a paycheck. And I talked about a couple of weeks ago how that we ought to go to work because God made us to work. And that is philosophically why we go to work. We go to work because God commanded man to work. But at the end of the day, you get a paycheck. And you know what you do? You give your labor, and in exchange, you meet the condition, and then your boss meets the commitment to pay you. And uh, I want to be a Christian who takes these promises 
and lives off of them. I realize the commitment of God to keep His promises in my life. Is that what you want today? Do you want God to keep His promises to you because you're keeping your condition? Let's talk about that process here of how we grow through this. And then at the end of the sermon, I'm going to give you a quiz that you'll take in your head that will help you to see on whether or not you are staggering at the promises of God. Letter A. Here we go. Where we start. Where we start. Can you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 this morning? 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. And look at verse number 12. Lots of pages turning. Everybody find it? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse number 12, the Bible says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. You know what that means? Don't compare yourself to people who brag on themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Church is wonderful because it is a community of like-minded believers. And you know what church offers all of us? It offers us strength in numbers. How many of you ever tried to walk through life for any season of time by yourself and just found out that you get lost real fast? Anybody here ever tried to go on a long trip without a map or a GPS? Thought, ah, I'll just find my way. Ah, I'll just make it work. All right? Maybe you're out and about and your phone dies and you don't know where you're at. Okay? We've become so reliant on those, haven't we? And uh, we're, uh, we're trying to find our way. And you know what? We're, when we're in a church family, and by the way, did you know you can go to church and be totally isolated even though you're sitting around a bunch of people? A whole bunch of us, we come in, we try not to talk to anybody, and we leave as quickly as we can. Right? You're missing out on part of what church is for. Church is a place of community. But you know there's a trap with going to church. And the trap is the comparison machine. Did you know that my journey with Jesus is different than your journey with Jesus? Did you know that God did not call you to be me or me to be you? You know, Freddie over here has a different path that God has chosen for him than Mike over here has. God's not called them to be the same person. Elizette down here, she's got a different path with the Lord than, say, Maxine has. And the most dangerous thing you can do is look at someone else on the other side of the room and say, well, I'm not where they are. I don't have what they have. You know what you need to do? You need to take yourself, your eyes off other people and you need to put your eyes on the Lord. Sometimes my kids bring home report cards from school. And I'm a fan of report cards. I am. I think that they're good. I'm not a participation trophy guy, right? Oh, you all tried real hard. Here's a participation trophy. No, no, no. If you stunk, you don't get one. Amen? And uh, you you can go home and cry about it. Maybe you'll be better next year. All right? Um, I'm old school in that way, I guess. Um, But uh, I'm a fan of report cards. I think they're good. I think they help children to, to work their best and work their hardest at school. But there's a trap with report cards. The trap is, oh, I didn't make as good of grades as such and such in my class. You know what I tell my kids? Do your best and don't worry about anybody else. How many think that's good advice? It's good advice for you too. Walk with God. Follow the journey He has for you. And don't compare yourself to other people. Where we start. Where we start. The day you got saved, your journey with Jesus began. And that's where you need to begin to grow. If you are comparing yourself to others, you are not wise. Letter B, how we stumble. 
how we stumble. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says this, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. You can't preach a sermon about staggering without referencing this verse. But the wicked fall into mischief. Now, back in Romans chapter 4, where we began this morning, verse number 20, it makes this statement. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. I find that to be an interesting statement. Really? Abraham didn't stagger? Are we sure about that, Paul? I mean, he did, like, try to give his wife away twice. Did he not? I would call that staggering. Um, He did sleep with Hagar and have a baby with her, didn't he? And then when God came to him and said, I'm still going to give Sarah a womb, Sarah's past menopause, and says, I'm still going to give Sarah a baby, he goes, let the child Ishmael live before thee. Well, then how can Paul make the statement that Abraham uh, staggered not at the promises of God? I think, I, think Abraham, I think Paul's statement is accurate. And here's what I tell you. The goal of Christian life is not to be perfect. How many of you here ever made a mistake and you have, if you will, fallen along the way, along life's path in the Christian life? We all have, haven't we? None of us are perfect. You know what Abraham did after he, after he fell? He got up. He got up. He dusted himself off and he moved forward. You know what makes you wicked? What makes you wicked is not falling. What makes you wicked is when you stay down. And you won't get back up. Are you staggering at the promises of God? Well, God wasn't there for me. He let me down. And now I'm going to lay here and I'm going to lick my wounds. And I'm not going to move forward. Maybe it isn't God you're disappointed in. Maybe it's yourself. I just keep falling. I keep falling. Everybody look up here at me. Everybody. Everybody. Christians need to drop the defeatist attitude. You have a sin habit in your life. God is powerful and capable of defeating that sin in your life. I don't care what the habit is. I don't care how long it's been entrenched in your life. God can give you victory. But you have to believe that. The Spirit of God within you is greater than the sin that's struggling. Whatever that sin is, whatever's got a grip on your life, you there is a way, there is no temptation that can keep you down. There's nothing wrong with the falling. Problem is when we don't get back up. Somebody here today, you need to get up off the mat and say, I'm going to get back to claiming the promises of God. I'm going to dust myself off and I'm going to move forward for the Lord. Letter C. How we stabilize. How we stabilize. Psalm 119, verse 10 says this, With my whole heart, oh, this, this, this is so good. With my whole heart have I sought Thee. Oh, let me not wander from Thy commandments. Thy words have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against Thee. My whole heart have I sought Thee. How do you stabilize? How do you claim the promises of God and stay claiming the promises of God and not be falling over and tripping over your own two spiritual feet? You've got to follow the Lord with your whole heart. I heard, so I've heard several people say this, and oh, every time I hear this, it hurts my heart. They'll say things like, yeah, well, you preachers just think reading your Bible and praying is the solution to all of life's problems. Yep. We sure do. Well, that's just a cop-out. That, that's easy advice. Anybody can give that advice. If you went to the oncologist with cancer and he said to you, I need you to do chemo, I need you to do radiation, and um, uh, I need you to change your lifestyle. You, oh, all you oncologists, you all say the same thing. You've got, a, you've got an upper respiratory infection. The doctor says, here's a prescription for a pack. How come every doctor says take a pack?" <laughs> 
You know why? Because it works. Do you know what the Bible is? It's a stabilizer of your life. The Word of God is powerful and capable of healing any heart, any, any wound down in your heart and your soul. And as I read my Bible and pray and I seek... Here's the problem. Okay, uh, The people that make the statement, you preachers always say, read your Bible and pray and your problems go away. You know what they're not doing? Probably. They're not reading their Bible and praying. Now, they maybe dabbed their toe in it for a short time and read their Bible, you know, for a couple of weeks or maybe even a couple of months and, and maybe they tried praying for a few minutes one time and, and they didn't get what they wanted. Notice what Psalm 119 says. With my whole heart. Say it with me, church. Whole heart. With my whole heart. You know what that means? That doesn't mean I'm just sticking my toe in the water. That means I'm jumping all the way in and I'm going to follow God's Word and I'm going to love God's Word and I'm going to embrace God's Word and I'm going to live God's Word. When the Bible calls something sin, I'm going to do my best to get away from it. When the Bible says something's right, I'm going to get involved in it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to give my whole heart to the Lord. You know why? Because the Bible is the cleansing agent that washes away sin and sinful habits and places within us the ability to trust God in order to keep His commandments. Letter D, why we safeguard. Why we safeguard. How about Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. We safeguard our hearts by insulating ourselves with all things pertaining to God and His holy words. And when we do, we become even more familiar with and comforted by God and His great love and care for us. Life is uh, constantly changing. People are constantly letting you down or changing their expectations on you, but Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what you'll find is that if you'll run to Him and let Him be your strong tower, your life will end up being pretty great. Jesus worded it this way in Matthew 5. He said, some people build their house on sand and the whole thing collapses when the storms of life come. Other people build their house on a rock. And when the storm comes and blows, their house is left standing. Are you staggering at God and His promises? Is your faith in God weak or is it strong? Many people claim the promises of God but rely on their own intellect and what is sensical instead of what God's Word says. I'm going to give you a quiz right now. Can everybody listen for about two more minutes? Alright? I'm done early today. Can you believe it? We serve a miracle-working God. But if you don't listen up right now, I'm going to go more than those two minutes. The, the tone is about to get very serious because I'm about to ask some hard-hitting questions. I have spoken broadly this morning. I'm about to get very specific. Some of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not staggering at the promises of God. I'm on track. We're going to find out right now. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. God's Word promises to give you strength. Do you read it every day? Don't answer out loud. Answer in your heart. Because if you're not reading it every day, then you're not relying on God's strength. You're relying on your own. And you are staggering at the promises of God. Prayer promises to move the heart of God. Do you pray Every single day? Because if you're not, then you are staggering at the promises of God. You have an open invitation to communicate with your Savior and you don't take it? Church attendance in the Bible is promised to exhort you and grow you. Listen, church, I'm pushing you. 
Hebrews says we're to be in church every time there's a corporate service. I happen to notice our Sunday morning attendance is somewhere around 230 on average, and our Sunday evening uh, average is about 65. If we're told to be in church every single time the doors are open so we can be encouraged and we can grow, can we really claim that we're not staggering at the promises of God? Are you here faithfully? I mentioned one in six services back in the 1950s. Now it's one out of every three services people are out. Oh, I'm really about to hit home now. When you give a tithe of your income, God promises, He He promises to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing greater than you can receive. Now, I don't know who does the giving here, but I know this. Very few people in this church tithe. Very few families in this church tithe. Why not? Do you not believe that if you gave a tithe of your income, that God would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on your head? Because if you really did believe the promises of God, you would give and experience the blessing. But you don't tithe because you don't believe that. You really don't believe God's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour blessings all over your head. You see, we are staggering at the promises of God. I'm not up here grabbing for your money. If you've been here any length of time, you know that's not my heart and my spirit. I hardly ever preach on tithing. But it is a disobedience of our heart when we just dig in our heels and say, I'm not going to do it. God promises to direct your paths if you acknowledge Him in all that you do. Do you take your itinerary every day to God and say, do you approve Is this what you want me to do? Or do you not believe in all thy ways? Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Here's another one. Oh, they're like the waves of the sea. They're just going to keep on coming. God promises, he promises that if you train up a child in the way he should go, that when he is old, he will not depart from it. I've seen a lot of Christians dance all around that verse and explain it away. I'm not here to step on parents with wayward children this morning. But I want to ask those of you raising kids, are you claiming that promise? Are you really training up your child in the way he should go? Or are you leaning on the world's intellect on how to raise your kids? There are so many good books written about the Bible on how to be married and how to parent. And we don't even read those books. We don't take the time to look at it and study it. We lean on how we were raised by our own parents. And then we copy their mistakes in our own kids. And then we say, well, you know what? I took them to church. It didn't say take them to church and they'll not depart from it. It said train up a child. But yet we let sin pour into our home through their devices, and even through our own devices. And we say, well, you know, I took them to church for 18 years. I can't understand why they live like the devil. And I know some kids go wayward for a while, then they come back. Listen, I could go on and on and on, getting very particular about the promises of God, and whether or not you are actually claiming them and living by them. But I don't want to be the Holy Spirit this morning. I want God's Spirit to work in your heart. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. We're not going to have any piano play this morning. This is going to be a different type of invitation. I think... Sometimes invitations are a waste of time. Because we do it every week. We go through the formality of it. And we leave and nothing actually changes. 
Nothing actually changes. Now, I'm for invitations, and we're going to keep having them here. But it's time we get real with God. Hey, which of His promises are you staggering at this morning? Which of His promises are you not actually living by and claiming? Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If God's working in your heart this morning, why don't you leave your seat right now, come down to this altar. We don't need a piano. Why don't you come and bend a knee right here and say, Lord God, here's a promise I'm leaving left unclaimed because I'm staggering at your promises. and I want to claim that promise. Who's going to have enough boldness to step out of their pew right now and come down and bend a knee in prayer? Oh, I would love to see God's people get real with the Bible. This needs to stop being theory that we talk about. And this needs to be something we put into practice and start living. Either God is going to keep His Word or He's not. You may, not come, choose, you may choose not to come to the altar this morning and that's fine. Will you pray where you're at? Will you ask God to show you where you have been staggering at His promises? Will you ask Him to show you how you can start claiming them and living them? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ alone, I did not talk about salvation. But my friend, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Pastor Andrew is standing down front. We would love to take the Bible and show you how you can get your eternal needs settled. You can make peace with God and know you're going to heaven someday. Let's take a few minutes and pray right where we're at.